take your Bible, turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel's in the Old Testament or New Testament? Everybody together? Old Testament. It's the last of the major prophets. Uh, the big book is the book of Psalms. That's in the middle of your Bible. And then you have Isaiah. You have a couple little books, and then you have the big book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, 12 chapters. We are in chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Don't know how to... Don't know how to introduce this to you except to say that uh, this, is a, this is a very important chapter. And uh, there shouldn't be a believer on the face of the earth that isn't aware that it exists. Uh, because it's something that's yet to come. It hasn't yet come. And uh, God has started the history moving. He has kept it going for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And um, so let's see exactly how it all ends. Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now I know I lose half of us already. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Now Daniel isn't just having a dream. God is the one that is giving to him this dream. And in this dream, he is having some visions. You know, you and I go to bed at night and we dream. You and I don't get up in the morning and say, Well, that, uh, uh, God gave me a dream last night, do we? No. No. And uh, we go through our lifetimes dreaming. I'm not saying that God can't use dreams. He uses dreams many times in His Word. And uh, He did that in this particular case. Now, the Bible says that Daniel wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Now, I want you to under, underline that or score it or do something with that or write it on your notes. There's always a sheet of paper back there that you can get when you come in here and sit down and we look at God's Word together so you can take some notes. It's called your notes page. But you want to write it down, telling the main facts. And the reason why you want to write that down is because, you know, we would love to have a detailed account of everything that God wants to do or is planning on doing. We want Him to tell us, that you, you and I would love it. I'm sure we'd love it if, uh, if we get up in the morning and uh, God would say, okay, here are all of the things that I want you to do today. Would, would you just love that? Or if everybody got a big book that had everything that God wanted you to do in your lifetime. But I just caution you with the fact that we want to be so detailed in everything that God is planning on doing in the future that we just have to work it out to its smallest, smallest detail. And that's just never going to happen. Years ago, when the church... Uh, uh, the church uh, looked at God's Word and, 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 and realized that uh, there are several different positions that we can take when it comes to looking at the last days, you know, prophecy in the last days. The church came up with this very simple approach, and that approach was, well, we know that they're all millennialists out there. We know that they're post-millennialists out there. We know that they're premillennialists out there. And we know if you're a premillennialist, you have a pre-rapture concept, you have a mid-rapture concept, you have a post-rapture concept, and a partial rapture concept. The church, knowing that all of those views were out there, came up with a very simple way of handling it. 
And they said, well, you know what? We know that Jesus is coming back again. Whatever position you take, we know that Jesus is coming back again. That is a main fact. Number two, we know that before Jesus comes back again, there's going to be a lot of trouble. It doesn't make any difference whether what position you take. We all agree that there's going to be, we're going to be living in a world that's going to be very frustrating to live in, even if it's only for a couple of short years. Everybody knows that there's going to be problems. Number three, we know that God is going to convert the Jewish people in mass at the second coming of Christ. Everybody knows that. It doesn't make any difference what your position is. It doesn't make any difference what your theological persuasion is. We all know that's true. And then we know that after Jesus comes back, we know that there's going to be a judgment day where God's going to judge everybody. And, and last of all, we know that there's a new heaven and a new earth for those who know the Lord, and there's hell and the lake of fire for those who don't. Now, that's how the church has pretty well handled that. And if you have some more details that you want to add to that, that's great. You can add to that. We will have some details that we will add to that that we think are very, very important. But notice what Daniel says here in chapter 7. He says, he wrote down the dream telling the main facts, and he spoke saying this, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, this is why it's important to know a little bit about the background of Scripture. Daniel's in Babylon. He's nowhere near a sea. But the sea he's referring to is the sea that borders Israel on the east and all of the Mediterranean countries on the west. And what he's about to share with us kind of centers in that location, that area of the world, because all of the kingdoms that he is describing here have somehow affected the area around the Mediterranean Sea. And so here he says, Behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each one different from the other. Now, I want to tell you something. This is no pleasant dream. You know? We like to go to bed and we like to say, oh, have pleasant dreams. Daniel is having a dream, but it's not a pleasant one. It's a distressing dream. It's a dream full of monsters, so to speak, if I were to use it in modern-day terminology. Because there are four great beasts who came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a what? Everybody together. A lion. And it had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Now, that's a pretty confusing dream. That's a pretty... I, you know, I sit there and I try to imagine what Daniel saw in his dream, and I can't put it all together. I can't put who did the plucking of the wings. There's just little details there that I can't get. But I do have the sense, the major sense of this, that the first, the first beast was like a lion. What's the second beast like in verse 5? And suddenly another beast, the second one, was like a what? A bear. And it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. 
And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Tell you what, very distressing dream. I'm sure you wouldn't like to have had this dream. And after this I looked, and there was another like a what? A third beast, a what? A leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. I can't even picture what this beast looked like. It's obviously nothing that's running around on the earth today. In fact, all of these are nothing that's running around on the earth today except that basic animal that he likens the beast to. Number one, a lion. Number two, a bear. Number three, a leopard. And then finally, in verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and it has huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all of the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Not ten antlers. Not ten spikes on a, on a rack. An antler, you know what I mean? Like, like we see on animals today, like deer, for instance. It had ten horns. I, I, can't, make, I can't picture that beast very well at all. But then this dream is not meant to be a pleasant dream. This dream is meant to give to us in a very symbolic form the reality of the world's nations leading up to the second coming of Christ. That's what it's meant to do. That's what it's meant to do. Now, I... I read this and I say to myself, I can make some comparisons. For instance, I know that the Babylonian animal that stood at the gates of the palatial palaces of the kings of Babylon were lions with wings. That's how they made them. And so I say, well, you know, God is bringing you down to earth, and he's saying, okay, Daniel, there's some connection you can see. I know that the next kingdom that comes and succeeds in conquering Babylon is Persia, the Medes and the Persians, and I know that that nation is represented by a bear. Historically speaking. Then I also know that the third nation that comes, after this I looked and I saw a leopard, and I don't know that Greece was referred to as a leopard, but it was the fastest kingdom that ever grew. And this is to imply that here is a leopard, has four wings of a bird, and this beast had four heads because the Greek empire was divided into four sections and dominion was given to it, and you know, it all started with the conquest of Alexander the Great. If you are a history buff, if you're not, you'll probably never care about hearing that name again. And the Bible says that after this third leopard, you have a dreadful and terrible beast who has huge iron teeth. And I say, I vaguely remember seeing or reading something like that in Daniel before. Now, I, I want you to do this very quickly because 
Daniel chapter 2, go back to Daniel chapter 2 for a second. You'll remember that the king of Babylon has a dream in Daniel chapter 2. And you'll remember that nobody can interpret this dream. They couldn't figure it out. They didn't even know what the dream was all about until Daniel was able to come and share the dream. And Daniel says, I can tell you the dream. I can tell you not only what you dream, but I can tell you exactly what it means. And you'll remember, you'll remember that Daniel said you dreamed about this big, great image that has a head of gold and has a shoulders and chest of silver and an abdomen and thighs of bronze and two legs of iron with ten toes. I see, I see some similarities between these two dreams. I see great similarity between these two dreams, and indeed there is. And Daniel went even further, and he said, Listen, I'm going to explain to you what's going to happen. These, 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 uh, uh, this image is an image of one empire that conquers another empire that conquers another empire that conquers another empire. And so the Babylonians get conquered by the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians get conquered by the Greeks. And the Greeks get conquered by the Romans. And that leads us up to the first coming of Christ. Because what nation... What empire is controlling the world when Jesus is born? Everybody together. The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. But I, I want to say this to you. It's important for you to understand that here's the first dream in Daniel 2. It coincides with the second dream in Daniel 7 because the nation's all fall in line. Once again, we're dealing with the Babylonians. Everybody together. We're dealing with the Babylonians. We're dealing with the Medes and the Persians. Everybody together. The Babylonians first. Medes and Persians second. The Greeks third. And the Romans fourth. And you say, I hate history. Can we stop that now? <laughs> no. No, we can't. Daniel's only giving us the main facts. But he wants us to know them. Now listen, I want to say something to you before we go any further on this. And that is this. Because I see in this, and almost everybody sees in this, a picture of world history from the time of the Babylonians in the Old Testament all the way to the time of the second coming of Christ. Now there's some people who will take this section of history and say, well the Babylonians conquered the Persians, the per I mean the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, Persians conquered by the Greeks, Greeks conquered by the Romans, and that's as far as it goes. It goes to the first coming of Christ and ends right there. But no. You see, Daniel 7 takes it even further. Daniel 7 takes it even further. In that first image, you remember what happened with that image. You have that image standing there, and there's a rock that rolls into the image or is cast into the image and breaks that image into powdery dust that blows away in the wind. And that big rock becomes a mountain and becomes the last kingdom on the face of the earth. And you know what kingdom that is, right? In Daniel 2, everybody remember that one? The kingdom is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the last kingdom. Now, I don't want to lose you here. 
I'm sorry I have to share this kind of information with you because it's not the easiest to understand and it's certainly uh, not uh, real exciting. But let me simply say this to you. When you get to this second prophecy here, you're going to discover that the second coming of Christ is what is being referred to when this kingdom becomes a big kingdom encompassing the whole face of the earth. Look at verses 8 and following. Look at verses 8 and following. Nine, verse 9 and following. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. Now, <clears throat> what's happening here is God is setting up a court. All right? The thrones are being put in place, and the Ancient of Days is being seated. And who is the Ancient of Days? God's the Ancient of Days. Now, notice what it says. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. This is a symbolic representation of God. His hair was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. And in his presence, a thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Now, all I can do, because I'm not the smartest, sharpest tool in the shed, all I can do is try to visualize what Daniel is saying. I don't have to come up with all the details. I don't have to understand all of the symbolism here. It's not critical that I do that. But notice how verse 10 ends. The court was seated and the books were opened. The court is seated. Everyone is in place. God the Father is there. Myriads of angels, I'm sure. And I don't know who else is witnessing it. We got 10,000s times 10,000s. All right, I did the math on that. I took my little iPhone out and I put my computer there and I said, I know 10,000 times 1,000 is a million, but what's 10,000 times 10,000? I didn't know that right off the bat until I looked it up and thought, whoa, that's got a lot of zeros there. And Daniel says, I watched then. And I watch this courtroom scene. Now I want to skip over the next couple of verses. And I want to go to the, um, the second part of this. Verse 13 for just a moment. And I was watching in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Who is that? That's Jesus. What does it refer to? His second coming. Just as Jesus was here the first time, he's coming back the second time. And these prophecies don't stop at the first coming of Christ. They take us all the way to the second coming of Christ. Just before Jesus left this earth, what did he say to his disciples? What did he say to the rulers there in Jerusalem? He said, the day is coming when you're going to see the heavens open and you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Right? 
And we have lots of verses of Scripture like that talking about the second coming of Christ. And notice what he says in verse 12. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. So Jesus comes to who? The Father. And they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now this hasn't happened yet. That's why you and I should care about it. Because when we look out at the world today and we see the hundreds of nations, uh, uh, was about 200 nations out there now, and we see all of those nations and we look at them and we try to figure them out, it's amazing. We try to wonder how we're going to survive on this planet with nation warring against nation and people warring against people and ethnic groups warring against ethnic groups and everybody clashing with each other. How is this world going to survive? I don't have to worry about it. The Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days is going to hand over everything to the Son. I like the sermon title. That's why I put the sermon title in there. Everybody together, let's read the sermon title. All of the kingdoms on earth will be handed over to the people of the Most High God. Chapter 7, verse 27 of Daniel. That's pretty good news there, isn't it? That's pretty good news. God's going to hand the kingdom kingdoms of this world over to Jesus. I personally, as a premillennialist, believe that Jesus is going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And then according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what's Jesus going to do after he reigns? He's going to hand it all back to the Father. That hasn't happened yet. We've got a lot to look forward to. We've got a lot to look forward to. You know, I, I want to I say this too. Christmas is coming. You know that uh, Christmas is celebrated around the world. It doesn't make any difference what time zone you're in. It's celebrated everywhere. Everywhere. There are five nations, however, on the face of the earth that will not allow you to celebrate Christmas. Did you know that? There are five nations on the face of the earth that will not allow you to celebrate Christmas. It is against the law to celebrate Christmas in these nations. Two of them we know. Three of them are so small that chances are you haven't even heard of them. Number one is North Korea. And number two is Saudi Arabia. It is against the law. Do you know why it's against the law to celebrate Christmas? Because Christ, this is the stated reason. Because Christ will influence the people who celebrate Christmas. And we can't allow that to happen. So here's this court in heaven, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to finish with this. I'm not even going to get into the Antichrist this morning, but I'm going to finish with this because I want you to, I want you to see in verse 22. We're going to jump down to verse 22. Just for the sake of time, we, didn't, we just don't have any other time, much time left. So here, here's the discussion of the second coming of Christ in verses 12 in, in 13 and 14. And then we jump down. And, and, and in 21, Daniel says, I was watching and uh, the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And, 
And this is that period of time that everybody believes. It doesn't make any difference what your denominational affiliation is. It doesn't make any difference what your theological persuasion is. It doesn't make, you can be a Calvinist or an Arminian. I don't know if you've ever heard those two terms or not. It doesn't make any difference. Everybody understands that there is going to be a period of time when it looks like the world is going to prevail against Christianity. Or believers. Because this is Old Testament. Believers, they're being referred to here. But look what it says in verse 22. We already read that court was being set up, but look at verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. So God sets up His court. He ushers in all of the nations on the face of the earth. They're all ushered into court. And God is going to judge the nations. I do not want to be Saudi Arabia on Judgment Day. I do not want to be North Korea on Judgment Day or those three small nations. And I don't want to be Babylon. And I don't want to be Persia. And I don't want to be Greece. And I don't want to be the revived Roman Empire. I don't want to be any of that. And I certainly don't want to be the Antichrist, which we didn't get into today. Because on Judgment Day, God is going to judge all of those nations. With that, I want you to jump down to verse 26. Okay? After we have a brief discussion of the Antichrist, and we'll pick that up down the road here. Don't worry about that. We'll give you a thorough, thorough look at what the Antichrist, who he is, and what he's going to do, and, and maybe even get a little bit of an idea of when he's coming. I don't know. But I will say this. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion. It doesn't make any difference what nation wants to do whatever it wants to do. It doesn't make any difference what nation wants to control the world. It doesn't make any difference what nation is going to oppress, what nation is going to persecute. It doesn't make any difference. There is no exception to the rule that a court date has already been set. The thrones are going to be in place. The court is going to be seated. The books are going to be opened. Judgment is coming forth. And number two, that judgment is going to be made in favor of the saints of the Most High God. And number three, the court shall be seated and they shall take away the kingdoms of this world and they will be given to the people of God. Christ, of course, being the one who will reign over all of that. Daniel talks about his emotions in several other spots in this, and especially when we talk about the Antichrist, he, he gets a little emotional about that, of course, and he's thinking about that, but here's how he ends in verse 28, this dream. This is the end of the account, and as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed. Now, I identify with Daniel in this whole thing. I'm a believer. I love the Lord. I want to hear what God has to say. He shared it with Daniel. Daniel's sharing it with me. But notice what the Bible says. 
My thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed. But as troublesome as all this was, oh yeah, and it ends well, but as troublesome as all of this is, I kept the matter in my heart. I kept the matter in my heart. I didn't walk away from this prophecy, and I didn't say, well, I'm going to forget that. I'm not going to think about that anymore. No, you and I have an obligation to look into the future. You and I have an obligation to line up God's Word with what we know is happening in the world around us. And even though some of these things are unpleasant for us to look at, it's important for us to keep them in our heart. Maybe we don't understand it all, but like Mary, the Bible says that after the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, she kept all of those things that she had learned in that process of the coming of Jesus through her very body, and she pondered them in her heart. And may I simply end this at this point because there's so much that we can take from Daniel and look at in the book of Revelation, and we'll get to that down the road. But you remember what Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, don't you? The, the hardest book in the whole Bible to read, the one that scared me to death as a child, <laughs> Revelation, with all of its symbolism and uh, gory details, I'll tell you what, it was tough, it was tough, but I want you to know that I survived the experience many times over because I knew God was in it all and it had a good ending. But what does Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it because it's going to come to pass as sure as we're sitting here. It's coming to pass. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Daniel. Lord, we know he was in a foreign land. He was in Babylon. He couldn't get up and he couldn't enjoy coming to church with everybody and worshiping you because of the pagan environment he was in. Lord, we knew that must have been trying for him and very difficult for him. And yet, Father, you have given to him a clear picture a clear picture of history and how it's going to proceed and how nations are going to uh, govern in a way that is contrary to your word, that is oppressive, that is uh, by nature uh, ghastly from our thinking, if we may use that term. Lord, we look to you and we pray that you would remind us as we keep these things in our hearts that you're going to take all of the nations and rule favorably for your people and you're going to turn the world over to your children as you turn the kingdoms of the world over to your son to rule and reign forever. Father, we thank you for that final thought and pray, Lord, that it will guide our emotions through the days ahead when we have our ups and downs about the world's circumstances and the situations that we are facing 
in our day and age. We ask this in Jesus, your most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, let's close our song of invitation this morning. The chorus to turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. We'll sing the chorus, but it's an invitation for you to respond to the gospel. The good news is that Jesus died for our sin. And if we respond in faith to Christ and we receive a gift that he is offering to all of us, we can be free from the power and the penalty and one of these days the presence of sin. Amen? Let's all stand together.